Tonight we are going to conclude our series of three lessons on biblical fasting. Thus far we have looked at what the Bible has to say concerning fasting from both the Old Covenant or Old Testament and the New Testament. In this study we have learned that fasting is meant to inflict humility on the soul, not the body. The fact that it is has something to do with, with abstaining from food, that's not the point. The point is that it is to inflict humility on the soul. It is a spiritual thing. And as I said in the first lesson last Sunday night, so often Jesus' disciples, as those of you know who've been here during the Sunday morning adult class, they had their minds always in the physical. And Jesus kept trying to teach them spiritual truth. Fasting is about spiritual things, not about physical. But we always want to concentrate on the, on the food aspect. It's about something much deeper. It's about spiritual things. We've also learned in our study that fasting is not just a Jewish custom, but it has been done by God's people under all three laws. Tonight, in our conclusion, we're going to ask a number of questions about fasting and the child of God today. We're going to ask the questions, should Christians fast today? Why should Christians fast? When? Should Christians fast? And how should Christians fast? So tonight, we are going to look at this question. Should Christians fast today? The answer to this question is very simple. The answer is yes. Yes, they should. It was Jesus himself that made this abundantly clear. Jesus assumed that his disciples would fast. He did not even consider them not fasting. As we looked at this morning from Matthew 6, 16 and 17. When you fast, do not be gloomy. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Not if, when. Anoint your head and wash your face. Jesus told John's disciples that his disciples would fast when he was no longer on the earth. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Again, Jesus did not even consider them not fasting. And as we've already talked about several times from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus even taught his disciples how to fast which he wouldn't have done if he didn't expect them to fast. Now, it's possible for some folks to say, as some folks might, yeah, but Jesus lived and died under the Old Covenant. Jesus 
lived and died, the new covenant didn't come into effect. And, and this was old covenant times, so Old Testament times, if you will, even though it's in the New Testament, Jesus lived and died under the old covenant, Galatians chapter 4. So those things that Jesus did, well, I'm not sure as they really apply to us. Well, for somebody who would say that, we have seen that even in the new covenant, the church fasted. In the New Testament, under the New Covenant, that the church fasted. For example, first century Church of Christ in Antioch fasted. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord, the church, the Lord's church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, we see that the church did that. The churches of Christ in the Galatian region in the first century also fasted. When they had preached the gospel to that city... And it made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fast, this was a common thing. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed, Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. We've also seen that the Apostle Paul used this as a mark of his ministry. It's what helped identify his ministry, as we talked about again this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 27, Paul says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. This was a mark of his ministry, just like all these other things were. It was something that Paul did, not occasionally, but often. People today, in today's world, fast for many different reasons. Some people today, in the world at large, some religious, some not, some fast for health reasons. That is fairly commonly done. Some people fast because of great sorrow in their life. Some people fast in order to gain some sort of self-control or more self-control and it helps them with that. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting for those reasons. There's nothing wrong with those. However, none of those are reasons that Christians should fast. It's okay to do it for that reason, but that's not the reason we're given to do it. Christians should have a single purpose behind their fasting. Mark this down. They need divine help. That is the reason that Christians should fast first and foremost. They need divine help. Stop and think about this. This is consistent with what we noticed in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament we noticed that they fasted when they needed divine help. They fasted when faced with danger. They fasted when they were facing war or preparing for war. They fasted in times of great sorrow or the loss of a loved one. 
They fasted when they were seeking God's forgiveness. And they fasted when they were seeking God's will. In the New Testament, we see that it's also consistent with what we noticed from there. They fasted because they needed God's help with temptation. Did Jesus fast during that 40 days of temptation? Yes. Jesus fasted. They fasted because they needed God's help with serving the Lord. We've seen that the church at Antioch fasted for that reason. They fasted because they needed God's help with appointing elders, the churches of the Galatian region, from which we have read. Thus a Christian should fast when they are in need of deep divine help. Christian should fast when they are in need of humbling themselves, totally humbling themselves, in anticipation of seeking God's help. It is the one that humbles their soul before the Lord that will be heard by him. Psalm 35 and verse 13. Now, having answered why we should fast, let us now look at I got behind by one, see? We should look at, uh, having answered why we should fast, let us look at when we should fast. When. I say to you, when we should fast. See, that's why I stand down here, because I don't want to get too crossed up. <clears throat> Let's look at when we should fast. As New Testament Christians. Whenever the occasion arises that requires divine help. Now, don't get me wrong. We are always in need of God's divine help. There's never a time that we're not in need of God's divine help. I understand that. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. But what we are talking about in reference to fasting is something that is out of the ordinary. For example, and this is key... Jesus did not fast every time he was tempted, but when he was going to be bombarded by temptation for 40 straight days, he fasted in an extreme situation, in an extreme concentration of temptation, he fasted. Paul the apostle did not fast with every congregation every time he visited them, but he did fast with them when major decisions had to be made, like the appointing of elders, like we've read about. And he didn't just fast for the fun of it. He didn't just fast just because it was a cool thing to do. He didn't fast as a matter of ritual. He only fasted with those churches when they were in the middle of major struggles and the need for divine help on a deeper level. That's when he fasted. This is something that we learn. When we are spiritually stuck and need divine guidance or help, that is when we need to fast either individually or collectively. So the question then arises... We know we ought to fast. Since we know we ought to fast when we are in need of divine help, how should Christians fast? Whether individually or collectively, we are to fast 
without letting outsiders know it is happening. This is key. Fasting is between an individual and God or a group of individuals and God. And we've talked at length about Matthew 6 before. It's not something where we go about, oh, woe is me, I'm fasting, I haven't eaten for 2 hours and 15 minutes because I'm devoting myself to God and it's such a struggle, but it's, that's not the way you fast. If everybody else knows about it, then it's not in secret between you and God. And God rewards it when it's in secret between you and God. We must fast not to be seen by others, Matthew 6, 16-18, but to wholeheartedly humble our hearts and minds before the Lord God Almighty. We should fast only when the occasion calls for it and not as some religious ritual. I love this next line that Landon put in. He said, A good rule of thumb is, if you are having to pray a lot about some specific item, then that is likely something you should be fasting for. If you have somebody who is struggling with this terrible disease, and you remember the story of the woman who was afflicted with the flow of blood for all those years? She'd been to all the doctors. They couldn't help. She's out of money. She'd come to Jesus. You remember the story? That's a situation for prayer and fasting. A situation that is intense, that, that you're praying a lot about. You pray for somebody's health, and you keep praying for somebody's health, and you keep praying for somebody's health, and it doesn't seem to get better. That's when we need to get sincere and put everything else aside and devote and focus ourselves totally by prayer and fasting to seeking divine intervention on a deeper level. Now, I didn't just take Brother Rowell's outline, although I trust him. I didn't just take it and run with it. I checked, cross-checked, referenced, looked at some things. I want to share with you from the Christian Courier. Many of you are, f are familiar with Brother Wayne Jackson's writings from the Christian Courier. I looked on his website to see what he had to say, and I want you to know that he completely concurs with all of the conclusions that we have come to thus far. In Brother Wayne Jackson's article, Is Fasting for Christians Today? There is a section entitled, Warnings for Those Who Fast, and it states this. Admittedly, however, fasting can be abused. The practice must never be employed as a substitute for personal godly living. Isaiah delivered a blistering rebuke to those who fasted and then pursued their own worldly pleasure. Do you remember that from last week, Isaiah 58? We read most of Isaiah 58. They would fast, and in fasting you're supposed to be sincerely, devotedly seeking the Lord with all your heart, and then they just went out and devoted themselves to their own pleasure. It was a frivolous thing. They weren't really serious. In Isaiah 58, as I said, we read that at length, most of that chapter last week. He continues, Moreover, fasting must not be an occasion for the flaunting of one's religion. The Pharisees were guilty of this very thing. And again, he goes back to Matthew 6, 16-18, where they disfigured their faces. We've talked about that text at length during this series. And then he says, Finally, 
The rigors of fasting must not be allowed to ignite a spirit of religious smugness and self-righteousness. This certainly could be a temptation. And he cites Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. That is where the Pharisee and the publican went up to the temple to pray. You remember the Pharisee? I thank God I'm not like other men. I do yada yada, bing bang boing. And, you know, look at this guy. He doesn't do any of this. And so what... Brother Jackson's comment is here, if we're somebody who devotes ourselves to fasting, that should never become a point of contention or spiritual smugness. Well, you know, I don't know if brother and sister so-and-so ever, you know, fast, but you know I do because I'm just that good a Christian. He's saying it can be a temptation. Never let it become that. In other excerpts of that same article, Wayne Jackson makes these statements, and I think these are very insightful. The scriptures seem to suggest that God honors fasting when performed as a token of deep and sincere dedication. Amen. Let me read it again. The scriptures seem to suggest that God honors fasting when performed as a token of deep and sincere dedication. Fasting frequently accompanied repentance as an outward and genuine indication of contrition for spiritual rebellion. In other words, people didn't just fast like they were sincerely, deeply focused in on seeking God and then just go out and continue to live the way they had. If they were sincere about their, their deep seeking of God, then that showed in their actions. They were sincere in their following of God. As confirmation of that, I want us to take a few minutes and, and look into Zechariah. And as I said, hopefully you're already there, chapter 7. Again, the point here is this. The scriptures suggest that God honors fasting when performed as a token of deep and sincere dedication. And it accompanies repentance as an outward sign that your dedication is sincere. And when it doesn't, God knows the difference. That's the point in Zechariah 7. Let us begin in verse 1. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Shizlev. When the people sent Sherezer with Regimelech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? They wanted to know if they were to keep fasting. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? God's asking them a question. He's saying, okay, these folks have come and they want to know if they should continue fasting and praying. God says, here's the message to his prophet. Here's the message I want them to give. I want you to give to them. When you people fasted, did you really sincerely fast for me? God is asking them that. Was it about you and me? Were you sincere in your seeking me? Was it really about that? Verse 6. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? In other words, God's saying, hey, look, were you really doing this for me? Was it sincere? Was it devoted? Or were you doing it for your own ends? Verse 7, 
Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone, to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed, and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. What we get out of that text, they're asking if they should continue to fast. And God's message, basically, if I can wrap it up and summarize it, is this. If you're fasting, but then you're going out and doing all these things I told you not to do, you're not really fasting for me. You're not really seeking for me. You're not really diligently wanting me. If you really wanted me, you'd listen to me. But you go and fast, and then you go and do what you want, and you cast my words behind your back. God says, what I want you to do for when you fast, if you're really seeking me, then live like you're seeking me. If you're sincere in fasting and wanting my help, then listen to me. Here's what I need from you. Here's what I command you. Here's what I want you to do. You'll have my help if you go do what I say. Execute true justice. Be merciful. Be compassionate. And he goes on in verses 9 and 10. And he says, if you're going to fast and say you're sincerely seeking me, then really listen to me. Show it in your life that you really want me there. But don't come fasting. And then turn around and live any way you want. Because I'm not going to accept it. In fact, if we turn in Zechariah over to chapter 8, we would notice in verses 14 through 19 the following. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. God says, look, just as I determined to punish them, I am determined to bless you. Verse 16, these are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. These are all things that I hate, says the Lord. He said, be sincere in living for me. And then look at verse 18. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. The fast of the fourth month. Remember they were asking about these in, in chapter 7. The fast of the fourth month. The fast of the fifth. The fast of the seventh. And the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. What is God's message? The fast can be a beautiful, joyful, awesome, wonderful thing for you if you'll just live for me. If you're sincere in seeking me, show it by the way you live. If you're not going to show it by the way you live, then don't seek me by fasting. But if you will do these good and righteous things, all of these things that I, that I have listed, verses 15 and 16 and in the previous chapter, if you'll do those, 
then the fast will be a wonderful time for you because I'll know you're sincere about seeking me. So again, we just see Brother Jackson's words that God honors fasting when performed as a token of deep and sincere dedication that shows in your life. In answer to the question, how should Christians fast? It should be with the deepest, most sincere humility of mind that you can possibly muster. It should be just a pouring out of ourselves before God. And it should also be with a sure and certain expectation if we're truly seeking God that the God of heaven will keep his word to hear the humble and those who truly and sincerely set themselves to seek him. To obey him with all their heart. We see that in the book of Ezra. Please turn back to the book of Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. We will see that one who is seeking God through fasting must show their sincerity in seeking God and their true humility in other areas. Ezra 8 verse 21. Ezra says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. That pretty much sums up everything I've said in the last five, six minutes. They were seeking God by humbling themselves and they were humbling themselves by fasting. Those all go together. Fast, humble, seek. Verse 22, For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Ezra had made a point that God was mighty and God would take care of those who were truly seeking him. So he said, I didn't want to go to the king and ask for soldiers after I had told him that God takes care of his own who are sincerely seeking him. I didn't want to go to the king and say, hey, but just as an insurance measure, can you give us some soldiers? You know, that's Ezra's point. And look at the final verse here, verse 23. So we fasted and entreated our God for this. And he answered our prayer. You see, when Ezra got the people to humble themselves and truly seek the Lord God, it showed in the rest of his life. He wasn't going to the king and asked for protection because he'd already told the king, God will protect us. It showed in the rest of his life. And so with that kind of humility, with that kind of sincerity and integrity and trust in God, when they fasted and prayed, God answered. Wayne Jackson's conclusion is thus, and I want us all to hear this loud and clear. Though there are no compulsory fasts required of Christians today, it is true there is no command, thou shalt fast in the New Testament. It's strictly a choice thing. Though there are no compulsory fasts required of Christians, required of Christians today, the New Testament seems to take for granted that children of God would see the need to fast occasionally. 
God's not required. It's not a matter of salvation if you do or you don't. God is just giving you another tool in the enemy against Satan. God's giving you a powerful tool to humble yourself before him and seek him and put food and everything else aside and just rely on him and pray to him when you're in need of divine intervention, as it were, when you just need to be strengthened by God in those extreme situations that hurt so much. Brother Jackson also says fasting for the Christian is strictly a voluntary matter. It should arise out of a feeling of intense need, not as a result of mere formality. Landon Rowell, in his conclusion to this sermon series, said... Brothers and sisters, I encourage you as the occasion arises to take advantage. And that's really what it's about, to take advantage of what fasting offers you. It offers a unique opportunity to humble your soul and to seek God's help. Let's make certain we are taking advantage of such a great opportunity to draw closer to God in our lives. I had the privilege at the marriage retreat last couple of days of actually sitting with um, with Landon and Kristen Rowell and I thanked him for this series and we got to talking about fasting and we both understand there's no command that thou must do it but what a beautiful blessing it can be we got to talking about it and he mentioned that there's somebody in the Ramona congregation who has been struggling mightily with their health through a, an elongated, prolonged series of, of problems with this person's health. And he said, I think when I get back up to Ramona, I'm going to talk to some of the leaders in the church up there and we're going to get together and we're going to fast and pray for this person. That's Wayne Jackson's kind of conclusion in mine and Landon's now I'll give you mine this has been very enlightening for me again it's not commanded that you have to nobody has to fast if you don't want to that's up to you but my take on it is you know we have a song that we sing number 730 in the books what a friend we have in Jesus you know the song right and it talks about the peace that we often don't get because we don't pray to God as much as we ought to. The song talks about the peace that is, that is often forfeited, all of the, the pains that we needlessly bear because we don't pray enough. Right? My conclusion to this is, as I consider all of these things and I look at all of God's people who have fasted and truly humbled themselves and put food and everything else aside for a period of time. It doesn't have to be for a long period of time, but sometimes, you know, for hours, for a day, for three days, for seven days, as we've talked about. Uh, sometimes it can be for a number of hours. Sometimes it can be for certain food. But the point is we're seeking God. Nothing else gets in the way of that. My take on it is it's like that song number 730 I think sometimes we bear a lot of needless pain I think sometimes we don't have the peace that we should maybe because we don't get into the intensity of our focus on God utilizing both prayer and fasting and I ask you to think about it 
to consider it, get some other study resources. I've tried to give you, you know, the best that, that I can. I hope that you will take advantage of the opportunity to at least study or, or begin to study and implement this powerful element of God's Word in your life. How can you go wrong <laughs> if you take your Christianity and humble yourself even more and pour yourself out before God putting food and everything else aside. How can it possibly not be a positive thing to humble yourself before the Lord God of heaven? Consider it. The sermon series is yours. If there's anybody here tonight who's not a member of the Lord's church, anybody here needs to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Anybody here who has already done that but needs the prayers of the church, needs some strength. You know, if you come forward, somebody might suggest fasting for a while <laughs> if you're struggling with some things. If there's anything, though, that we can do, if we can pray for you, if we can help in any way, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.